Well, today is Resurrection Sunday. So I want to minister for a few minutes this morning through a message I'm calling, He Died for All. Today we celebrate good news. And that good news is that Jesus Christ, our Savior, died for all. This same Jesus died for you. He died for me. But sometimes we put the wonderful truth that he died for all out of reach. And I've noticed over the past year or two, he's been bringing that reality back up close and personal. Because sometimes you can look at people that seem so ungodly through their actions and their words, and we lose sight of the reality that Jesus shed his blood for those folks as much as he did us. Is that right? But his death on the cross without the resurrection would have no power to save us. It's got to be both. His death would have been an empty victory apart from an empty tomb. Now let me see if I can give you an example that kind of drives home what I'm talking about. Imagine you go to the grocery store and if you're anything like my wife, it's an all-morning process. Me, I just like to get in there and get out. It's probably why I don't come home with half of the things on the list. But imagine two or three hours up and down the aisles. You reach for items. You search for items. One by one, you pick them and you put them in your cart. And then you make your way to the self-checkout and you scan it and bag it, scan it and bag it, scan it and bag it over and over again until the last item is scanned and bagged. Now it's time to put your credit card in there. Now imagine when you insert your credit card, you see that word declined come up. And you understand that that is the only means that you have to pay for everything that's sitting there. That would be an empty victory. That would be a promise with no fulfillment. That would be a yes with no amen. See, friends, what God did is God said, I'm going to make a promise to you. That promise is my son, and he'll come and he'll shed his blood on the cross, and he'll be buried for three days, and I'll resurrect him, and I'll put resurrection life on the inside of him to dispense by grace to anybody that will have him. That's why I said yes. When that reality came knocking on my door so many years ago, I said, yes, I want that life. I want your life living on the inside of me. Jesus is our promise and Jesus is our yes and he is our amen. He is the fulfillment of the Father's promise. It's true. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross, what he did worked. And his resurrection from the grave authorized us to become sons and daughters, authorized us to become family. We were approved, we were accepted, and we were sealed in Christ. In other words, we were chosen, we were placed in his body on the tree, and his blood sacrifice was accepted by the Father. His shed blood was sufficient payment for every one of our wrong-headed thoughts, and every one of our bootleg sins. I'm telling you, his shed blood worked. 
Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection stripped Satan of his power. This is something I don't think we understand sometimes. It took away his power. Power to do what? Power to ever stand in front of God and make an accusation against God's child. It took away his ability to ever accuse us before the Father of sin or failure. It's very, very important to see that because we do fail at times, but as I've said before, failure is an event, not a person. But Satan no longer has the ability to come to the Father and say, look what he's done, look what she's done. Now we see this truth in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. I'm going to read it from the Living Bible this morning. The Bible says, you were dead in sins and your sinful desires were not yet cut away. Then he gave you a share in the very life of Christ, for he forgave all your sins and blotted out the charges proved against you, the list of his commandments, which you had not obeyed. Now, let me stop here for a second. I want to draw your attention, first of all, to that verb, were. You were dead in your sins. You know what the opposite of were is? The opposite of were is are not. You are not. So today we are not in our sins anymore. Why? Because the resurrection had power. And when you said yes to Christ, that resurrection life came and lived on the inside of you. The Bible says you were dead in your sins and your sinful desires were not yet cut away. Then he gave you a share in the very life of Christ for he forgave all your sins. When we were growing up, one of the cartoons we used to watch was this little character called Mighty Mouse. Does anybody remember Mighty Mouse? He was a little mouse with big muscles. And I want to draw your attention to that word all. It's a little word with big muscles. The Bible says that we were dead in our sins, but he forgave all your sins. Not only did Jesus die for all people, but Jesus died for all sins. And he blotted out the charges proved against us in the list of commandments we had not obeyed. Look at that word all one time. It comes from the Greek word pas. And I love it. Because it says, then he gave you a share in the very life of Christ, for he forgave all your sins. That word pas means the whole, it means every, and as many as. So as you read that scripture, he forgave the whole of our sins, not partial forgiveness, not lamb by lamb forgiveness. He forgave the whole of our sins. He forgave all of our sins. He forgave every sin. He forgave as many as sins as you have ever committed or could ever commit in your lifetime. He forgave all. That is what the Greek definition is behind that little bitty word that we think we understand it, so we skip over it. Jesus forgave all of our sins. And then the Bible says this, he took this list of sins and destroyed it. I love that. See, I don't like tearing things up usually, but when it comes to my sin, I'm thankful that you really got graphic with me there. He destroyed it. How did he do it? By nailing it to Christ's cross. In this way, God took away Satan's power. Remember I said his power was taken away. In this way, God took away Satan's power to accuse you of sin and God openly displayed to the whole world Christ's triumph at the cross where your sins were all taken away. We used to sing that song, that old hymn, 
at the cross, at the cross. And it talks about all your sins being taken away. In my study last night, I was thinking about a man named Horatio Spafford. Maybe some of you recognize that name. He is the man who wrote our cherished hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. When he was penning the third verse of that song, what Horatio did is he reached back into the scriptures we just read and he borrowed those words from the Apostle Paul when he penned that third verse, when he said, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, it's the word pass. My sin, not in part, but the whole, he says, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Do you know when he wrote that song, he wrote that at a time of great anguish. His family said he was passing over the Atlantic Ocean. And when he reached the very spot where earlier the vessel that his wife and four daughters were on collided with another vessel and sunk that ship. And his four daughters lost their lives in the frigid Atlantic Ocean. And as he was sailing to Europe to meet up with his wife later, he would cross that same spot. And he said to the captain of the ship, please let me know when you cross that spot. And he got out his stationery and he began to write. So he wrote this at a time when there was great, great anguish in his life. When that happened, his wife reached safely to Europe. This was in the 1870s. She had to send a telegram. And I want to show you the telegram that she sent in her own handwriting. I want you to see the first two words there. Saved alone. What shall I do? She was telling her husband, only I was saved. Our daughters were lost. I can almost hear that coming out of her heart. Unfortunately, believers have been asking the same question when it comes to their sin. They don't realize that all of their sins were dealt with on the cross. All of their sins were nailed to the cross. So they say, yes, I'm saved alone by your grace, but what shall I do? Do for what? Do when I sin. He's forgiven you of your sin. You say, Father, that is not my nature. That is not really who I am. I thank you, Father, for your forgiveness. I don't have to beg you to forgive me. You've already forgiven me. How do I know that? Because all our sins, every one of them, were nailed to the cross with Christ. You say, oh, okay, Mark, that was just your past sins. No, see, you were in the future when he was nailed to the cross. And he said they were forgiven back then. He could look down your entire timeline. He was saying, I'm forgiven everything. That's what grace looks like. That's what the heart of Christ looks like. That's the power of his resurrection. It's no little thing. There's power in his resurrection. It excites me that death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't keep him. The stone was rolled away. As he heard his father whisper, arise, my love. Come on, son. 
Come on. Those words were what the Apostle Paul said when he said, he forgave all your sins and blotted out the charges proved against you, the list of his commandments, which you had not obeyed. He took this list of sins and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. Today we celebrate and consider his once for all sacrifice. That's what Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, I believe it is, says. It talks about one sacrifice for all time made you and me perfect. I love that. We celebrate his triumphant victory over death, over hell, and over the grave. Listen to me. Jesus' victory wasn't a narrow victory. It was a convincing and commanding victory. He didn't win by a little. He won triumphantly. You don't barely win over the grave. You don't barely win over death. You don't barely win over hell. You don't barely win over these things. And because he died for all, then here's the wonderful truth. That means then all can be victorious in him. Because he died for all, we can all be victorious in him. With Jesus' victory, we were given the covenant of grace through faith. We're given a covenant of grace through faith. Our covenant strips away the collusion of the army that brought the law and the rules in. That is a really good reason to celebrate Jesus on Resurrection Day. It strips away the collusion of that army that stood and said, you will do this and you will do that. That's one of the reasons I celebrate him. There's a gentleman I'm trying to become friends with. The problem sometimes you have with making friendships is finding time because you don't work the same schedule. I really like this guy. And I was talking with him last week. And I said to him, so do you have any special plans for Easter Sunday? And he looked at me and he said, well, he said, we don't celebrate Easter. And my brain went, what? You don't celebrate Easter? Who would say something like that? I said, what? He said, no. He said, I'm from Mexico. I grew up in Mexico. I said, well, Jesus died for the people of Mexico too. Jesus rose for the people of Mexico also. He said, how about you? What are you doing for Easter? I said, well, we're going to have Easter service at our church. And I said, then we're going to get together with some of our kids and have a good Easter dinner. He said to me, how many kids do you have? I said, we have five. He said, can I ask you a question? He said, how old are you? I said, well, I said, I'm knocking the door on 60. He said, what? He said, you don't look almost 60. I said, well, the truth of the matter is I am. He said, can I ask you what the secret to your youth is? And I said, friend, it is the revelation of knowing that Jesus Christ died for all and he rose again. Amen. That's what keeps me young in my heart. It does. Treva, when I look at you, I see such youth in you. It's Christ, the hope of glory coming out. And I can say that about every single one of you. She just happens to be up close. I'm picking on her. It's an inside-out job. It's a work that begins on the inside and works its way out. I told him, I said, it's in knowing the truth, the revelation that he died for all, and he rose again. We see that truth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15. And that he died for all, that they which live should no longer live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them 
and rose again. That scripture right there used to be my favorite scripture. When we go back far enough, I've since moved on. I've got some other ones I like even better than that one. But I love this scripture. And that he died for all. Now listen, my heart was an evangelist in the early days. I was knocking on doors. And that scripture went with me everywhere I went. I just had to be mindful. You died for them all. You died for them all. One time I went and knocked on the door. And I mean, this guy... Ten times bigger than me coming. He looked like Goliath. Came out on the front porch with his hands on his head. What do you want? I almost just wanted to say nothing. <laughs> I mean, there were things going on in my head. I, I wanted just to say, I don't know. Not, not, I'm lost. I don't know. But I said, you know, I said, I knocked on your door to tell you that Jesus loves you. And that big old brute of a guy stood there and, and he allowed me to speak into his heart. And it was probably, I don't know, maybe a year later, I was working at Ace Hardware, working the floor one day, and I turned the corner, and here stood that mountain of a man. And I didn't recognize him at first, to be honest with you, but he knew me. He walked up to me, and he said, you remember me? I said, I really don't. He said, you came up on my porch one day and told me that Jesus loved me. I said, well, he still loves you, and he'll never stop loving you. He died for you and rose again because he loved you. He did. And that he died for all that they which live should no longer live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Now let me ask you a question. Does it stand to reason that if he died for all, then it would be equally true that he rose for all? Does that sound like that should be true? It does in my heart. You see, the heart that Jesus was crucified with is the same heart that he was buried with. And the heart that he was buried with was the same heart that he rose from the dead with. Jesus does not have two hearts, and neither do we. We have one heart. His crucifixion and his resurrection is the only thing that made that possible. We have one heart, we have one nature, and we have one Savior. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, look at what it says then, who gave himself as the redemption price, look at those words again, for all, that's that word pas again. He gave himself for the redemption price for all, a fact testified to at its own appointed time. Now friends, I'm telling you, you have one heart. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied that. It's almost like a new covenant prophecy when he said in chapter 36 and verse 26, he was prophesying, he was saying, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You see that? Do you notice the great exchange? He takes one out and puts one in. Do you notice they don't cohabitate? He didn't say, you know, we're just going to see if it gets along with you okay. You're going to be on medication to make it compatible with you. No, 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 no. See, we just had a trial with a dog for two weeks to see if, if we were compatible. But this is not what God does. God says, yes, I've made my son compatible with everybody. He fits perfectly in every heart and every home if you'll let him come in. We have one heart, or another way to say it, we have one nature. The old one has been removed, 
and replaced with another. And so it is with the covenants. The old covenant has been removed through Jesus' shed blood on the cross, and we have been given the new covenant, new hearts. Believers do not have two natures or two hearts. Very important to understand that because sometimes we question why we do certain things, why we think certain ways. It's just that our mind has not been renewed yet, but I'm telling you, you have one heart. Ezekiel said, I'm going to take out that heart of stone. I'm going to remove it. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. How can this be? Because when we embrace the truth that he died for all, Jesus took away our heart of stone and he gave us a heart of flesh. Now, I wanted to do an experiment yesterday morning, so I thought, now I'm going to try this one time. So I went over to my kitchen counter and I poured a puddle of water on there about oh so big around. And I took one paper towel and I took that paper towel and I just took the corner of that paper towel and I laid it just on the edge of that little puddle of water to see what would happen. And I came back a few minutes later. Guess what I found? I found that that paper towel had wicked up every ounce of that moisture that was right there. It had wicked it away. You say, what's my point? My point is, is that when Jesus' broken body was laid in the tomb, it was as though it was laid in the spill of all of our ungodliness and all of our sin, all of our unrighteousness. And what did it do? It wicked away into his own body. It wicked it away so that we would never have sin in our spirit man ever again. His cross and his resurrection wicked away every one of our sins, past, present, and future. That's good news, isn't it? He died for all, and he rose from the dead for all. He died and rose for the people of the United States, of Mexico, of Canada, of Central America, of South America, and everywhere in the entire world. The Bible says, and he died for all. Here's the good news. When Jesus died on the cross, we died on the cross with him. When Jesus was buried in that tomb, we were buried in that tomb with him. And when Jesus was raised in resurrection life, we were raised in newness or resurrection life. See, do you ever stop and think about that? Jesus actually hung on a cross. Yet the Bible says I was crucified with Christ. Well, he only died on the cross one time. If I was crucified with Christ and I died with him on that cross. He was only buried one time. And if he was buried and I was buried, I was buried in Christ. If he was raised from the dead one time, I was raised from the dead one time. He can never die ever again. Then it means I can never die ever again. And we see all these truths just kind of mushroom together in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 11. The Apostle Paul wrote this. He says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now watch these words coming up. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. What? The body ruled by sin might be done away with. 
I'm in the word, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Who died? Christ died. Did you die with Christ? Absolutely. And he says, anyone that has died, in other words, that has died in Christ, has been set free from sin. You say, man, Mark, that just doesn't seem like that makes sense because I continue to sin. Yes, it doesn't say it's going to be set free from all of our sinful actions, but it's talking about sin cannot remain in our spirit because that's where Christ lives. We have been set free in our spirit, man, because we were crucified with him. It says, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, there it is, he cannot die again. He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now, I love this next scripture here. It's, it's verse 11. It says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In the exact same way it happened for Christ, death, burial, resurrection can no longer die. He says, count yourselves the exact same way. You have died in Christ, buried with him, resurrected, and you cannot die again. See, friends, that's the gospel. The gospel is what he did for us. It worked. There is no plan B with Christ. Now, why would Jesus die for us? I mean, just think about it. Why would he do that? What was his motivation? Very simple. His motivation was love. His motivation was love. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says this, but God being rich in mercy, look at those words, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Do you see his motivation there? His motivation is love. He died for us because he loved us. He did. I celebrate my risen Savior, not just because I love him, but because he first loved us. He first loved me. I have no capacity to love him or love others without the revelation of his love for us. And apart from the revelation that he died and rose again. We see that scripture in 1 John 4.19 where it says, We love because he first loved us. See, God is love. And unless he gives you what he has, you have no ability to give away what you don't have. He deposits love on the inside of us. We're able to give away love. We're able to love him back. And it's an eternal love that he puts on the inside of us. Eternal love for us and an eternal love for us to love him. That's what grace does. The Father's great love for us was demonstrated of all places on a cross. The place where the darling of heaven hung for six hours. Do you know his crucifixion began at nine o'clock in the morning? And it ended at three o'clock in the afternoon. That is six hours. Six is the number for man. I don't find that coincidental. Man was made on the sixth day. Six is the number for man. Jesus hung there for all humanity. He died for all, the Bible says. 
But at noon, the Bible says there was gross darkness over the land. Friends, this was not an eclipse. An eclipse only lasts a minute or two. This was all the condemnation, all the judgment, everything being drawn to our Savior. All of our sins being drawn to Him. And then at three o'clock in the afternoon, He cried His final cry. And He said, it is finished. Father, into Thy hands I commit my spirit. Do you know that the darkness from noon till three is actually even recorded in the Roman archives. They will not dispute the fact that there was darkness over the land from noon till three. Oh, they'd love to hide that. Didn't we just sing that? Go ahead and try to hide the sun, but all will see that I'm the one. People try to hide him. I'm not hiding him anymore. He's front and center. John 3, 16 and 17. I love these scriptures. I never tire of listening to these. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see the motivation. Love. Gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Look at that next verse, 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but through him the whole world would be saved. Who did he die for? He died for the entire world. He died for all. Not only am I celebrating resurrection life today and the resurrection of Jesus, but today I'm celebrating 18 years of marriage. It was 18 years ago today that I had the pleasure of marrying Valerie. I said on the way to here, I said, honey, you're more beautiful today than you even were back then, if that's even possible. And she said, you just keep thinking that. <laughs> we exchange vows and there's not a day that goes by that I don't tell Valerie many times over that I love her. But I thought about this. What makes this wedding anniversary even more special is it is the first time it has fallen on Easter Sunday. Because I was thinking, man, I don't ever remember our anniversary being on a Easter Sunday. And I look back across the timeline. No, it never was. In fact, the last time it fell on April 21st was 1957, long before we were born. We're just babies. I said to Valerie on many occasions, honey, I think you would make an incredible nurse. Why would I say that? Because when I think about her attributes, I think she's gentle and kind and caring and compassionate. She's very, very smart very wise. She has this like gentle boldness and persuasion, if you know Valerie very well, but she's an encourager. And I thought, wow, those are all attributes of a really good nurse. There's just one problem that gets in the way. One little problem. Valerie doesn't like blood. Now friends, let me tell you something. You cannot become a nurse and go through all that schooling without dealing with blood any more than you can become a lifeguard without dealing with water. It's just impossible. And you may work in a vocation or an area as a nurse after everything is said and done, but I guarantee you're going to deal with blood through school. And Valerie gets a little woozy when she sees blood and thinks about blood. And the biggest challenge I'm always faced with when I think about the resurrection message 
The biggest challenge I'm faced with is there's a lot of blood. It took her more than 10 years before she would even watch The Passion of Christ, and I think she kind of regretted watching it because almost from start to finish, it's just blood, 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 and lots of blood. But the Bible has a lot to say about blood. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says this, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, or without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There was blood in the garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says his sweat became like drops of blood. There was blood at the whipping post when our Savior was scourged. There was blood from the crown of thorns that was pounded into his scalp. There was blood that percolated from his hands and his feet as he was nailed to the cross. And there was blood on the spear head and the spear shaft as they stuck Jesus in the side. And just even talking about that much blood and getting that graphic can be difficult for the faint of heart. I understand it. But 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18-21 through 21, say these words about blood. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. That's what redeemed us. The precious blood of Christ. We had an empty way of life just feeling our way through. Dealing with emotions, dealing with how we feel about things. But the Bible says that we were redeemed. We were bought out of slavery. We were purchased, if you will. How? By the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And then it refers to him as a lamb without blemish or defect. That's the way Peter wrote it. He said, you were bought with the precious blood of Christ. That would have been enough. But he said, wait a minute. He was a lamb without blemish and without defect. And then it says, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now, let me ask you a question. Why does the apostle Peter refer to Jesus as the lamb without blemish or defect. I'll tell you why. It's because Peter was directing his audience's attention all the way back to the original Passover that called for the sacrifice of a lamb without blemish and the death of every firstborn son. The Passover was a type and shadow of us being loose from the oppression of sin to the death of daddy's firstborn. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is and was and will always be the fulfillment of that type and shadow that we talked about on Friday night when we did the Seder in here of the Passover that's found in Exodus chapter 12. Listen to these words and you can see this is what Peter was reaching back to. You see, the New Testament had been written yet, but they were familiar with the Torah. They were familiar with those first five books of the Bible and they understood these stories here. And he says these words in Exodus chapter 12 verses 3 through 14. 
This is what God told Moses. He says, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Now look at these next words. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. This is what Peter was pointing back to when he said, this lamb whose blood redeems you, he said, he's a lamb without defect. He's a perfect lamb. He was pointing them all the way back to this celebration, this time when people were released from Egypt. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month. Or as I love how my wife always says it, is fall in love with that little lamb. Can you see your little kids playing with that little lamb? Falling in love with it as like a pet. And then ultimately that little lamb's life being taken. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood. I love this. Look at the imagery here. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. So what is he saying? He's saying, listen, I want you to take some of the blood of the lamb and I want you to put it above the doorpost and down the sides. What does this represent? It's the cross, friends. It's a picture of the cross. He says that same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on, your feet and your staff in your hand. He said, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. I love this. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Do you notice that when God gave this instruction to Moses for the Hebrews, he said that you're going to be saved by the Spirit of God as he passes by, he's going to look at the doorframe of your house and where he sees that blood, he's just going to pass over that home and not strike anyone dead. Friends, let me tell you something. It's the same now. We're not talking about the houses we live in. We are the home now. We are the temple now. But where God sees the precious blood of the lamb, that same lamb without defect, applied to the doors of our heart, then there is no judgment. There's no death for us. When he sees it upon the doorpost of our heart. See, isn't it interesting that Jesus even said in John 10, he said, I am the door. 
and what I am, you are. And when I see myself, I'm the door. When I see myself, when the Father sees me, He passes over and stays any execution or any judgment on you. You will never see death in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 17, some of my closing scriptures. It says, Therefore remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. So there was a time we were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, but now. In other words, just take everything you just heard right there. Don't just set it on a shelf. Just go ahead and erase it. Just highlight it, hit your delete button because but now just stepped in. But now, what is it in? It's in Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, it says, have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh, what did he set aside? The law. Notice it didn't say he set aside your sins. He said, I'm going to tell you how I destroyed this barrier. I'm going to tell you what was in between you and me. It was the law in your inability to keep it. But he says, I've destroyed that ability for it to speak into your life and for it to work into your life in order to be acceptable in my life, in order for the credit card to pass when you go to buy things. I have destroyed that barrier. You are as right in my eyes as you will ever be. How did he do it? By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. And then the Bible says his purpose, or another way to say it, his heart. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. We have a resurrected Savior. His name is Jesus. This same Jesus died for you. He died for me. And he died for the whole world. He did it for all. He died for all. His shed blood was sufficient payment for all of our sins. Jesus was nailed to the cross. You were nailed to the cross. Our sins were nailed to the cross. The written code was nailed to the cross. What is our response? Our response is saved alone. It is well with my soul. Oh, get that in your heart this morning. Saved alone. I'm not chasing this and that. I've been saved. I've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without defect and a lamb without blemish. He's my door. And when the Father looks down on me, even on my worst day, he sees the door in place. He sees Christ in place. I want to remind you, there was one door in the ark. 
That ark is a picture of Christ. And everything that came in had to come in through one door. And the Bible says the father himself was the one who shut the door. Noah didn't shut the door and his sons didn't shut the door and an elephant didn't pull the door closed. It was the father himself who closed the door. And everyone inside that ark was saved. That ark is a picture of Christ, the door in the side of the ark. That's what happened when they thrust the spear into his side. That was the door right there in his side. And as we enter through the blood and we enter through the water, we are cleansed, we are saved forevermore and sealed in Christ. Because what does the father do? The father says, you're in. Let me close the door. Isn't that beautiful? So beautiful. Our response is saved alone. It is well with my soul. Jesus' victory over death, over hell, and over the grave was a convincing and commanding victory. His victory over the enemies of darkness is also our victory. The precious blood of Christ wicked away our stony heart of sin and he gave us a heart of flesh now we have resurrection power living on the inside no longer bound by sin and darkness we're living in the light of your goodness we are no longer slaves to sins because anyone who has died in Christ has been set free from sin therefore we count ourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus today we celebrate a resurrected Savior we love Jesus because he first loved us and he demonstrated his great love for us of all places on a cross. What is the secret? What is the secret to our youth? Friends, it's very simple. The secret to our youth is found in knowing the resurrected Christ, the one and the only one who is worthy to wear the sash written with these words and that he died for all that they which live should henceforth no longer live unto themselves but unto him who died and rose again. Amen. Daddy, thank you. Thank you for a message that never grows old in my heart. I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for a relationship that is so beautiful between father and son. I want to thank you, Father. Jesus' portion is my portion. That's why my cup is running over. Because his portion is running over. I want to thank you, Father, that Jesus is and was and will always be that perfect and spotless Lamb of God. And Lamb of God, he is. He is to me. I want to thank you, Father, for resurrection life that began in Jesus Christ and worked its way into every one of our hearts. We shout for joy today, Daddy, as we celebrate your goodness. And we see, we look back and we see the scriptures that say, and that he died for all. In Jesus' name, amen.